Hi, and welcome to my uh, interview with John Sharp, who's the founding partner of Hatcher Plus. Now, obviously, as part of venturing capital is all about bringing together, like the whole thesis of it is how do we bring together innovation and then how do we bring together capital? Because when those two things happen, that is effectively when the magic starts to being created. Now, I've been absolutely fascinated by John's work for some time and have been following him for, for some time. So hope you get a lot out of this session. Now, first, I want to say thank you very much, John, for, for joining us and welcome. Thank you. No, it's a real pleasure to be here. Now, to start off with, can you give us a bit about your, your background and history before Hatcher? Yeah, sure. Look, in, in the, I'm obviously an, an Aussie. Um, I, I left Australia in the early 90s. I went to the US um, for a while and came in, into Singapore around the time that, um, uh, that the satellite industry was, uh, was starting. Um, so that was a fascinating time to be here. Uh, kind of small industry in terms of people, but uh, mm. fascinating to be launching rockets and putting satellites in space and uh, just, just a lot of fun. The fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, 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 it really was uh, fun stuff. And, uh, and I was part of a little company called World Space that raised $1.8 in its seed round, which I think is uh, somewhat of a record still to this, this yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, it was a fascinating, fascinating time. And, of course, now there's, you know, there's so many satellites up there that people trying to look at the, uh, the current comet that's in the sky are complaining yeah. that satellites going over it every two seconds and they can't get a decent photograph. What year was that, by the way? This is 1994 through 97. I was working in the satellite business. And then I decided I wanted to learn more about networking and software, so I went to work at ASTAR here in Singapore, yep. a software program there, and then I started a cybersecurity company in the States. Now, just for context, A-Star is a government, uh, government-led institute, right, and probably one of the most renowned for scientific... Amazing facility. It was yeah. actually it started as MIT Sister Lab in Singapore. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just uh, lunch times at that place were just incredible. The conversation mm. would go from everything from protease inhibitors through to you know, virtual reality. It was a, really an amazing place to work. Um, and then I went to work on a consulting project for a, a broadband group in the States and we discovered that there was a real need for uh, cybersecurity in the home at that time because we were just launching broadband. This is the early 2000s. So we created a, a broadband, a suite of broadband yeah, security tools and walked into Comcast and, uh, and got an order for 100,000 units as a little three-person company. And, and, and that later expanded to 2 million units and we got the same kind of orders from Cox and British Telecom, a bunch of others. Uh, so we ended up being uh, the largest OEM antivirus company in the world. Um, we, we supplied Google, Semantic, McAfee, British Telecom, Telstra. Uh, this startup stuff so easy, John. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm compressing 10 years. Worth, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sure. And, and the efforts of lots of lots of people that are far smarter than me. But it was just a terrific time and learned a lot about cybersecurity. Um, sold that business in, uh, in 2010 to an Israeli company and moved back to Singapore where I had a house and just started doing some angel investing. And, uh, and that, was, that was a lot of fun. You know, it was fun being working with these like you know, startups and things like that. And I eventually fell in with a group of seven other angel investors that became a group of 50 guys. And they appointed me to run their investments. And we sort of brought that together and that became the first Hatcher Fund. And, and so uh, I'd say that some of the investments were actually pretty ordinary um, that were made. And so it was a case of like having to figure out what was going to work and what wasn't going to work and be very disciplined about it. And uh, the other thing I found very difficult about running this, this group of very, this small group of investments was just getting the, the guys to report to us, you know, and, and, and putting all this and getting a cap table that was consistent. So at that time I started developing 
Um, I'm, I'm a software guy going back to the uh, to the um, uh, 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 going back to the start of this uh, of this project, and and so I started just creating a database um, and building front ends for cap table management and things like that. What like what Carter does now. Yeah. And um and, and started building in this whole sort of process, a bit like your CRISPR platform and, yeah. and you know some capability it has. And and uh, and and over time, that sort of developed to became a very useful part of what we're doing in the back end. But it's only for us. I mean, we just used it ourselves. And and then around 2016, I started doing some very very rough data analysis. I tried. I wanted to understand what was going on inside Venture, and what I discovered kind of flipped my whole idea of what was going on inside of Venture. I thought, you know, that. Uh, uh, I thought later stage was better, you know, better returns relative to the risks, et cetera. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, it would be possible constructing a small portfolio just to do the whole value add thing and, and everything was going to be fine. And what I discovered through this very, very early stage piece of analysis that we did was, was that you really needed to have a much larger portfolio. Um, and and, uh, and at, the, at the point at which I, did, I discovered that using 15,000 transactions, I thought, I immediately need some help on this. I'm, I'm not a data scientist. Mm-hmm. I know a bit about data analysis, but I called a friend of mine in Florida um, called Dan Hooktop, and Dan's amazing. He was a CIO at Bankrate. He grew their revenues from 38 million to about 575 with um, uh, 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 over a period of about eight years, just a tremendous guy, um, a very, very commercially astute data scientist. And I called up Dan and said, look, I've got this idea for creating a data-driven investment model for venture investing um now what, said, what, what just just quickly i don't mean to interrupt but what i think yeah. is really interesting about this is obviously a lot of people sort of talk about this on listed markets you're the yes. first person i've heard talk about constructing a virtual sort of portfolio in the in the venture space so i find yes. that really interesting as a starting point it look you know what's interesting to us is is when you look across the hall at the way other assets are managed and you look at the way, say, public equities have transformed themselves as a business since the early 90s, I mean, in, in the early 90s, if you wanted to buy stocks, you'd call someone at Charles Schwab and they'd pick some stocks for you and, it was, and you'd give them a check and it was all very, very manual and, and relied a lot on, on that person's sort of observations and understanding what's going on in the market. Now that person doesn't exist. Yeah. You, you, know, you grab an account with Goldman Sachs, they put money into this dark pool that has tens of billions of dollars in it, and off they go with this algorithmic trading at the speed of light. It's completely transformed. But venture, if you look back 30 years in venture, yes. nothing's really changed. Correct. It's, Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Which, now, why is that an astonishing statement? Well, because venture guys, if they know about two things, they know about disruption and they know about scale. Yes. Those are the two things that venture guys know. And, and venture investors generally can recognize when something's going to be hugely disruptive and, and how that, the efficiencies in that are going to create new value. And they recognize how to scale companies. And the thing that I found fascinating when I first uh, uh, figured out this notion we needed to have a large portfolio working for us mm. was, well, that implies that you need a lot of scale. And, and so I was just very surprised that no one else had really gone in for scale with the exception of a handful of guys like Dave McClure at 500 Startups, for example, yeah. um, Y Combinator, Paul Graham at Y Combinator, yeah. that out. And when you look at the, the, the data, the empirical evidence of what they did, it's really astounding. I mean, Y Combinator has 19 unicorns for 2,100 investments, which is absolutely amazing when you think about it. But also, 
slightly even more amazing is the fact that not only do Y Combinator have a unicorn every 100 investors, Techstars does, Startup Bootcamp does, 500 does, Sequoia does. There's some relationships there that you can see in the data where by certain types of, of, of return profiles accrue to these very large profiles. And so while as you may not get a 10x in your, pro, in your portfolio, you'll certainly get a much better result than the average small portfolio. Maybe I should share some data. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Uh, first of all, this is our, our engine that you're seeing here. Um, so this is really Dan's purview. He put this together. I thought I knew a little bit about um, AI when Dan and I got together because I'd previously been CAO for an AI startup here in Singapore called Thought River. Um, I, uh, in working with Dan, I've realized how much I didn't know about AI and just, just <laughs> what an amazing guy he is. Um, so, so, he so firstly, my, my first impression when I look at this is obviously it's in incredibly impressive how you've been able to analyze over 600,000 transactions. And yes, obviously the returns of 700 funds. Yeah, and people sort of think, well, 600,000 transactions, how difficult was that? The hardest thing was actually procuring the data and cleaning it up. Yeah. And we go to multiple data vendors. We had to ask a lot of favours from people who ran pension funds and mm. other organisations, and they were all very generous, and they gave us a tonne of information, and so we had to pull all that into and, and create similar profiles and everything. But, but then basically what we did is, and on the venture funds, we, we must have met in person with about 70 different funds. And then we just called everyone. We, we leveraged Pitchbook and CV Insights and Crunchbase and all the data we could find. But the most important thing we did is we actually created about 4 billion virtual venture portfolios. And what that means is, is based on these 600,000 rounds, what we wanted to do was remove the partner from the equation. We wanted to basically figure out if you just took 20 um, companies from Raleigh-Durham that are broadly in medtech. Um, how are they going to do if you start mixing those up or mix 200 up and you create 20 different portfolios? Mm -hmm. And what we consistently found was that it didn't really matter how you mix these things up. You ended up with the same returns and that the simulated returns very closely matched the actual returns from the portfolios. Now, this looks a bit boffinish, these two charts, but just bear with me here because it's actually sure. quite simple being represented. On the left here, you have the results of our 4 billion simulations at various size portfolios. So you've got the 10-year return multiple on the bottom, yeah. and you've got the probability you're going to exceed that multiple on the y-axis here. And the awesome thing here is you can basically go into line three, that red line that you see there, and you can see that, that if you follow that down to the bottom of the red line, just by tracing the, the looking at the graph here, you've got a, essentially you've got a 20% chance of a 2x return. Uh, for a hundred port uh, company portfolio, Good. if you go, yeah, but if you go across to the thick blue line, which is our strategy, everything changes. If you go up from the two x mark there to the top, you can see that your low case now becomes two x, your mid case becomes four x, and your top case becomes eight x plus. And all you've done is increase the size of the portfolio. And so we tested this using empirical data on the right, and you can see the same thing happens identically. So if you're plotting large portfolios like Sequoia, NEA, White Combinator, et cetera, what you end up with is just a better return. Um, we call it a more robust return, better is, is, is subjective, um, but it's more consistent as a return. And so the way that we, and, and by the way, everyone always says, yeah, what about Union Square Ventures and some of these awesome guys in Singapore that have presented these yeah. fantastic returns? They have done these amazing returns, but they really are outlier funds.
And and sorry, just just on that, I, I just want to highlight something and apologize. This wasn't in, we, me and you have obviously had a few conversations. I was really surprised by one of our last conversations where you highlighted the lack of returns often by VCs. And like one of the things you highlighted was that often some of the most successful VCs, typically their success is in their first fund, not so much in their follow-on. And what, what is, is there any other colour you'd like to add to that? Oh, yeah. So let's look at the next page. So why is the first fund better than typically than the second or third fund? Now, that's not a hard and fast rule, but it does apply a lot. And as we discussed in the last conversation we had, Steve, the thing that's fascinating to me is a lot of people, a lot of investors won't go into a first fund because they think it's too risky. Yes, yes. But actually, it's it's when you should make the bet. If you like the guys, that's when you put the money in. And, and uh, so, so what you're seeing here is actually one of the reasons we found why. So this is an analysis. This is, I think this is, is a couple of hundred thousand of those transactions. And what you're seeing here on the left-hand side is eight rounds of venture investing. Now, these names are used differently throughout the world, but broadly speaking, round four is anyone series A, and then round yeah. five is a B, round six, series C, series D, series E. Yeah. Um, the very first round we call foundation round because there is yeah. a really good name for that. The next round we call angel and the round after that we call seed. Um, just to give a, a profile here, what's fascinating about these returns, I think, is, is first of all, the angel needs to be explained. Um, and we struggled with this for a long time. We couldn't figure it out. And then when we started looking at the valuations that angels often give companies, we discovered that they were too generous. And we came up with a very pithy quote that angels wear halos. Um, they're, they're a little too nice, um, yeah. generally speaking. But we discovered in North Asia that this doesn't actually, um, that, that, that in North Asia they're less generous and the angel returns are much better. So this is just a, ge- a worldwide view of what's going on. But okay. one thing I would take away from this as an angel investor is not to be too generous with the, uh, with the valuation because the seed guys coming a lot next are going to be less generous with the valuation as a general rule because they're typically now institutions and they'll bring things back to earth. So this was an interesting thing. But the takeaway from this is if you get money in, in the number round, uh, one round, the number three round, the number four round, you're doing great because you're above that red line that is, is, is NASDAQ. Interesting. And, well, and so when you've actually looked at this, how, like, uh, so how have you seen this actually play out in real life with, with a lot of the companies that you're sort of coming across? Um, it, we've seen it play out very dramatically, actually. Um, some of the companies that we invested in, we made 100 investments, over 100 investments last year. And some of those companies are already coming in at, at I think one of them is at 5x, one of them's at 7x, who had one exit already at 2x. So in the space of 12 months, you can see these really large step ups in value. Um, and what people also miss, and what we found in our analysis, is there is a much larger propensity, particularly in America, to sell these early companies at a very early stage and exit within two or three years, which is not something that was previously on our map to quite the degree that, that uh, we found in our, our analysis. By the so, way, so on two, the right hand side. Sorry, two questions I have for you. Typically in that foundational round, how much are you typically investing and how long are you typically holding for? Are you holding for that two to three year period or are you holding to IPO or other exits or what, what's your thoughts on that? So, so one of the things we also found was um, uh, I called a buddy of mine who runs um, uh, Adam Street Partners, which is one of the leading fund of funds in the world. And I said, look, can you give me data on how long these venture funds typically hold for? 
And uh, he sent me back a, a chart and it showed that they typically hold for about 16 years. Now, that's not what most venture fund uh, investors sign up for. They sign up for 10 years yeah. plus two one-year extensions. And so, yeah, the 16 years, to find out that that was the average and that there are active VC funds that hadn't liquidated after 22 years was a real surprise. Now, telling a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old investor that you're going to be waiting 20 years for money is, is it's just not, not, I don't think it's a good thing to do. So, so actually, it's a great segue into what we did is we created an ETN so that you can actually buy into the fund and then trade out of, of, of the fund at any time. So our idea here was that if you put $100,000 into the fund and the fund goes 2x in four years, you can then go and sell that on, on the markets. Now, right now we're on the Vena Bourse. We're just awaiting regulatory approval to go onto the Singapore exchange. Um, and that will allow us, it'll allow our investors to basically put money into our fund and then dictate the time period themselves that they want to hold that. Because right now the fund dictates how long your money is in there for. And sure, you'll get money back as the exits happen, etc. You're the first guy in line for that. We have exactly the same model. So there's no downside to investing in the ETN. The upside is, is that anytime you want to get liquid on your investment, beyond about a three, four-year period of initial investment, you should be able to trade, uh, trade and, out of it. And John, one other thing I love about the way you're thinking is that and this goes back now. Obviously, you're going. You're focused on your strategy at the moment. Um, yeah. What I found interesting was your team makeup. So, typically, what what would a typical VC structure look like, and what does your structure look like at a team perspective? It's so so. We've automated literally everything, right? I mean, everything we do from deal flow. Like we looked at, uh, I think something like ten thousand three hundred deals last year to invest in the hundred or so that we invested in. Uh, and, and so we're able to do that because we use, we apply AI filtering, we apply ranking, we apply all sorts of methodologies. What we're able to do in conjunction with all the accelerators that we work with is leverage a massive team globally, but maintain a very small team ourselves. So we have 10 employees. Just as a contrast, I was on the phone with Plug and Play a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and, uh, and we're just teasing each other about how many investments we've made because we're neck and neck with them. Um, for a long period there last year, and uh, they'd made twice as many investments as us in June. And I said, yeah, and remind me how many employees you have. And they said, well, we've got 800. I said, we've got 10. <laughs> but so all those 10 people, they're typically engineers and data scientists, yes. aren't they? Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, there's only, it's only three of us that are, that are working on the sort of front end on the commercial side, and everyone else is, is working away um, on, on helping us on the automation, the business process automation, um, side and on, on all of the integrations that we do with the various data APIs and things that we use. And, and John, if there was three takeaways that you would, the, if you were to summarise what you've learned since sort of 2000, 2015, 2016, what yeah. would be the three big takeaways um, that you would sort of hand over to other investors looking to get into this space or already active in this space? What would be your three key takeaways for them? Um, my three key, that's a great question, Steve. I think my takeaways would be, first and foremost, um, talk with other investors and find out what they're doing. Yeah. We got on a plane, we went and met with 70 VCs and what we discovered is that was there was a real need for something like what we're now doing. And we could see, we also just recently hired the InnerSight group, Clayton Christensen's um, consulting group to do, um, uh, uh, to do some analysis of what we're doing. And what they came back with was fascinating. They see the venture capital industry moving 
um, very much towards where, where we already are and where we're heading to. And so I would say talk with other investors that are similar to you and try and understand what they're doing and learn from that. I've learned so much from talking with family offices over um, a, a couple of years as we've been building this. And one thing I've learned from family offices is they want to do, they want to deploy a lot more money in venture, that's for one, and into the kind of deals that WI um, puts mm. out there. The second thing I, I've learned is they want to get involved, they want to do this. Sorry, the, inter the internet just broke and up. And less in time to do that. because what I found and what The Economist has actually found through their research. Let me summarise. What I found from talking, uh, 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 from looking at The Economist research on this is family offices want to invest about 25% fund and about 75% direct. And so one of the takeaways from this is what we want to do is be able to present family offices with deals um, that they can invest in on a zero fee, zero limit basis. So when they invest in our fund, we're really creating a hedge for that money. And we're saying, we believe this will be 4X in 10 years. So if, you're, if you put a million bucks with us or $100,000 with us, let's say, um, we believe we can turn that 100,000 into 400,000 in 10 years. If you have an allocation of 500,000 that you want to put in these early stage companies, that frees you up with the other 400 to do interesting things that you may find either through WI or through us on a direct basis. And, and we think that's really the future of this. We think there's going to be a lot more direct involvement. So that's one of the, the takeaways is understand what your peers are doing and understand where the trends are going. It'll, it'll make a lot easier for you to do that. And, and the second part of that is it will enable you to syndicate um, because if you have groups of people that are like-minded around you, and one thing I've noticed from our involvement with the Kritsu Forum um, around the world is there's a lot of doctors involved in that network. So when a deal comes in that's med tech or biotech, the doctors are all over it and they syndicate it and they understand it. So getting together a like-minded group of investors, I think, is, is the second um, takeaway for me. That can really be helpful um, if you're an individual investor. And the third thing I would say is, is really just look at how you're running your own processes and how data can help because I've learned so much just from looking at what our data has shown us in the last three years so many of my biases have had to be upended um, and, and, and changed out for new biases, I guess, based on what we've, we've seen. And, and this has been fascinating. A lot of what I thought we were doing right back in our first fund, and we've had a great run that first fund. We got 17% IRR. We'll eventually do 20 plus. It's, it's, it's been a good, um, a good, uh, a good uh, thing. But, but I wish I knew back when I was managing that, I wish I knew to build a bigger portfolio and I wish I knew how to better manage risk. And what I've learned from everything that we've looked at in the last three years is how to do those things, is to generate better returns and better manage risk. So that's the takeaways I'd, I'd, I'd leave. And I have to say, like, our thesis is exactly, our thesis in line with that is that what I love about what we do is typically we want to attract investors that are typically looking to be more active with the company because they've got some sort of skill set or background or networks that can add value in some way, shape or form. And as I've highlighted to you, the way I see the future of our, you know, the future of WI is helping create those syndicates for companies and for investors so that, you know, that alignment of thought, that alignment of participation, et cetera, can help it create additional value. Look, it's amazing what you're doing. And, and I, think, I think you're exactly right. And I've noticed that the investors that you guys have sent to us already, just going through their backgrounds and their profiles, they've got a lot to offer any company that they would invest in. 
And, and so I think there is, there's definitely the money side of it and the investments yeah. of it. Um, but, but, but what you can add to that, that company can be profound, even if it's just introductions. Mm. That's a lot of it, you know, as we all know, like, like knowing how to contact someone is, is, is a really critical component. To well, it. I know for myself, like my shareholder base now, and we've done a lot of work, sort of we've raised money over the last sort of 14, 15 months, and my, the background of my shareholders range from private equity, venture capital, um, you know, angel investment, wealth management, funds management, property, and from, you know, seven different countries. So it's not that this problem, and lo- what I love about your, the way you presented your data is this, is this is effectively, you know, international, this is from an international perspective. And this is, you know, I said, I, I, I cannot but take my hat off to you. And I know, like, I think to provide some sort of context, how much would you say you've invested into to building out this data structure and this, this sort of platform that you're bringing forward? We've raised over 12 million USD um, to build this out. We've spent about half of it. So, so it's, it's, it's been a really massive effort and it, it's included a lot of outsourcing and other people brought into the, mm. to the mix. Um, but we're now at a point where, we, where we've got our structures firmly in place with respect to the investment models. Yep. So now what we're looking to do is understand more about what's going on in impact, for example. We're fascinated by that area and we think the data can bring a lot to a lot of understanding um, to that. So there's various really, now that we're on this sort of firm base that we had to work so hard to get to yeah. and all that time cleaning up and everything. Now we're in that really lovely area where we're getting ready to launch into a whole new uh, areas of analysis. And I think that's going to be really exciting. Well, to finish off, I just want to say thank you very much, John. Um, everyone, you can find out information uh, about what sort of John's doing on the Chris platform and on WI. I highly recommend you sort of either regi- you know, register interest or get to know what the Hatcher Plus team is, team is doing because I said, well, I've had now I think three or four chats with John and each time it's just like a, I, I don't know, I, I, I love that sort of that, that thesis chat. I love digging into the data. It's just your, the way you are thinking about things is very different to how most people I come across and I, I absolutely love it. So thank you very much for your time today, John. Thank you very much, Steve.